0: Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Pro and Dialogue. My name is Danny Servic, and in this week's episode we catch up with my good friend Jonathan Wallace of the Denver Nuggets. Uh, the former great Georgetown Hoya point guard that we talk about how a young boy growing up on a farm in North Alabama uh, without cable television until he reached college, his journey through uh, being a standout collegiate player, playing uh, at a successfully high level uh, as a professional, uh, returning to coach at Georgetown to get his MBA, and now working uh, in the NBA uh, with the Nuggets. But we also weave through, uh, which is one of my favorite things of John, uh, of being a very successful uh, cattle farm business owner, uh, and we managed to tie together uh, how the terminology of playing in the Princeton offensive system, uh, some some terminology in the cattle business, as only uh, someone, as Mr. Wallace, could pull together, so... Uh, a great listen, some, as always, some things for uh, basketball guys, uh, for parents, uh, and then just a great listen of, of uh, how education at its core uh, has really set the table for all things that have led to his success. So uh, sit back and enjoy uh, this week's dialogue with Jonathan Wallace. Right. So there's not many uh, basketball guys that have gone from being leading a team to the Final Four, uh, being with a couple NBA teams, having a great overseas career, coaching uh, at a Power Five school, now working in the NBA, that I can ask him this question of, do you own more pairs of boots or basketball shoes?
1: Definitely basketball shoes
0: now. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, um, I, I have said for a long time uh, to to my friends and, and to a lot of folks, I'm like, Jonathan Wallace may easily be kind of like the uh, the beer commercial, one of the most interesting <laughs> men in in sports and basketball, because in, in being from the, the same hometown here in Huntsville, you know kind of followed you and knew your story and, and and just really kind of must share it with people of how you grew up on a farm find your way to Georgetown find your way uh, to your career overseas and now uh in which we'll talk at length more uh work with the Denver Nuggets and I just think it's it's insanely cool it and you know oh by the way in in in, in addition to leading your team to the Final Four, that you get into Georgetown Law, and now you got an MBA from Georgetown. Like so, like right. you just stop running up the score on all of this. <laughs>
1: yeah. The. Not uh, No I mean, Yeah, it's one of the things I feel like. Even with, you know, you look at in business terms, is how well you can diversify yourself because you don't know, you know, where the game will actually take you. So, for me, it was just one of the things, always being prepared for, you know, what if and what opportunities come, you can be able to take well, full advantage of
0: no doubt and, and so and we'll kind of go through a bunch of stuff and 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 there's a lot of people you know with with when we when we started on the basketball club portion of pro one that you were that that your well, we'll come back to your cattle farm too by the way the bit yeah. that your cattle farm was the first european model jersey sponsor with wallace ventures <laughs> and everyone was like who's wallace ventures that's oh, the cattle farm and they're like farmer john yeah. and like all of our people like from like holly pond and all the rural places like oh yeah we know we know all ventures so um <laughs> no i i just obviously we, um just had the the joy of getting to work with you in your professional career and getting to know you so much better from that and then and then even beyond but let's kind of just roll it back to um which starts off with one of my favorite stories with you that you actually were going to go to princeton uh right. with with coach john thompson the third and then to Georgetown. kind of kind of talk a little bit about that just you know obviously your father was principal at your high school and academics is a big deal and the whole i love the whole story that you guys didn't have cable television you can kind of talk about so just kind of start from the high school portion of then you know getting from princeton or that route and then ended up at georgetown
1: no so yeah that uh that whole high school experience uh for me going out very sheltered. Uh, but at the same time, it was one of those deals where I always knew I wanted to play on the highest level. I never once thought how I would get there. Uh, one of the stories I always tell is that, you know, yeah, I didn't grow up with cable, but my aunt who lives like two houses over from us on the property, she did. So I would, my dad bought me like a case of VHS tapes. I'll go over there for big Monday. I'll go there for Saturday, just hit record, just record whatever games are coming on ESPN. And that's how I started really understanding what the college game was about. And then from there, it's kind of how I fell in love with the University of Kansas. That was a team that was really rolling at that time with, you know, Kirk Heinrich and uh, Drew Good and those guys, Nick Collison. Just that would be able to see the game on such a high level is what kind of gave me that interest. Um, And then from there, AAU, I tested it early uh, with Alabama Lasers. And then obviously, you know, most people know that team kind of split up and Me and my dad went back to the drawing board and just said, look, we'll work out, you know, every every summer once, twice a day until my skills and that confidence was to the point where I knew without a doubt I could compete at that level. Then we tried at the AAU again with uh, a pump and run with Mark Camaro, uh, I think playing in the Kingwood Classic, got me some exposure my junior year. And then we went out to uh, Vegas and played. That's essentially when uh, John Thompson III saw me play. And then from there, obviously, with the normal recruiting uh, flow, made a couple calls, came out to watch a home game. We played Decatur my senior year. And that's when, uh, you know, he made a good impression on my family, good impression on me. Ironically, his son, his oldest son, and I share the same name, John Wallace and John Wallace Thompson. So it was like, you know, those coincidental things where Princeton obviously having the academics, but him and the impact he had on the game of basketball, it was a no-brainer uh and then from there i think i took my visit up there in june so clearly after the season after normal uh official visit set up and then he got the job at georgetown i want say early july and he called and said you know i still like you as a player i feel like you can still play for me but i took the job at georgetown i want you to come with me but i don't have a scholarship for you and so that's where the walk-on situation came into play and you know they still had their financial aid and opportunities that way and that's kind of how um, they worked with me initially, and then uh, I got my scholarship actually midway of my freshman year after I was fortunate to set the single-game uh, three-point record uh, or tie the single-game three-point record at Georgetown. And my third game was a freshman. That's when, you know, guys started talking. I was like, all right, we better get them a scholarship <laughs> at this point. <laughs> so from there, it was just, you know, one of those feel-good stories. I started every game at Georgetown. Yep love with the team community the whole nine.
0: no that that that's there there's so many different like oh this is my favorite thing about john type things but i love um you know that's one of the things i think we have a lot of listeners um that are uh parents of of, of kids in high school and young and also i think you know in, in players but and they're so caught up now in in the culture of you know what am I ranked and and you know who's recruiting me and how many offers do I have and let me let me count like that kind of means and you know and you, you have a great chance and you go to Princeton and then Coach Thompson likes you so you go to Georgetown as as a quote walk on but then right. the the mere fact that I think uh, I used to know that I think it's one hundred thirty six games I think is what it was like you you, you started every game of your for for your career you guys. Right went to the postseason all four years. You went to three straight NCAA tournaments. You went to the final four your junior year, which you're the third leading scorer on the team. You're with Jeff Green. You're with Hibbert. You're with Ewing Jr. I mean, like, you're with guys. And, um, you know, you're, you're all Big East. And it's just kind of like, just keep working. Just trust the process. Don't get exactly. caught up in the... You know, and it's one of my big themes of, like, don't worry if you're the best 12-year-old and the best 13-year-old and the best 15-year-old. Like, you just keep going. You just, you don't know, and you keep plugging away. In um, the, th- the whole thing, though, and, and this talks about, you know, one of our themes of talking about being different and all. Like, if education wasn't such a big thing at the core of your being, you never would have ended up at Georgetown to play for Coach Thompson because you wouldn't have gone to Princeton. And so... Right. Like if you would have been so caught up in, let me go play in another travel tournament, let me go do this, or I got to play and quote the biggest name, and there's there's something that's just so, uh, re- you know, refreshing to me, and always has been with you. And I, it, but for others, and that's kind of wanted to just kind of highlight you and and, and bring attention to you and your background because so many people know, they may have just picked up the story when you guys were in the final four that year, or, or they knew in, in, and. Yeah. In, that, like, no, there's a whole lot more if you peel the onion back <laughs> to, like, how you ever even got to there. And if books weren't such right. an important piece, um, that you wouldn't have had that chance to become an all-Big East player.
1: Right. Exactly right.
0: So, so all right, so you, you become – we're going to come back to the farming thing because that little, little Farmer John is literally my favorite thing about <laughs> yeah. you. So you. So one of my other great things, talking back around the book stuff, is while you're at Georgetown – you get into Georgetown law, right? So, right. um, did you ever, did you ever jump in and start doing the law route or was that just kind of was there? And then you made the choice of like, you know what, let's go play and chase the pro dream and then, you know, come back.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, when I went there and obviously before I even knew I was going to get playing time, my goal was to be an agent. And I thought, You know, Georgetown's perfect situation to get in and get into law school, study entertainment law, come out and be able to help athletes on that platform. And then you got smart. (laughs) Yeah, and then then I think what the junior year, Georgetown had a program because so many Georgetown undergrads were not staying home and going to Georgetown law. They were going, you know, to your Cal Berkeley's, uh, your Michigan, your Harvard's. They were going to, you know, prestigious programs. So Georgetown came up with an early entry program that if you took the LSAT, uh, I think it was your junior summer, uh, along with your GPA and then some interviews, you would be, you know, judged accordingly from that and could possibly enter into that program. So that happened my junior summer right after the Final Four. And so two things happened in that situation where I had honestly had never planned to play basketball after college. Clearly, that's a dream. And when the coach asked you, you was like, yeah, I want to play in the NBA. But realistically, I thought I was going to go to law school, come on, be an attorney. Mm -hmm. The situation happened with the Final Four, put my name on the radar as a player, and then as well with the law thing. So that's when I was like, all right, look, maybe I can test this dream a little bit, see how I can compete amongst the best players in the world at at every level. And that's what I chose to do.
0: Yeah, and I was having um, a conversation with with, uh, a friend of mine that works with one of the NBA front offices last week just talking on some stuff and, and you know, cross checked about you. He brought up that he was happy to see there with Denver and and everything. And and he brought up the point and then, which I completely agreed with and have, have have made it uh, known to others that, and I'm excited. I love that they have the two way contracts. Now I think that helps a lot of people. I love the exhibit 10 contracts. Now I think that helps, but like, there's a lot of dudes that are like, Hey, I'm an NBA player, you're part of the NBA organization. Like you were a two way player exhibit ten before the rule really existed. And right. like that's kind right. of like um that's how good you had to be that I always joked that there were only one way contracts. There weren't two way right, contracts. Right, you right, had right. to be one of the fifteen of the thirty teams. And so, um, if you weren't one of the four hundred and fifty players then then you weren't. And that's how kind of close it was. Like I know you were mm-hmm. you know, you were with the Wizards right when you came out of school. Um the year you played with the Rockets minor league team, you guys were the D league champs, uh, which, uh, that would have automatically then put you then in a situation with that. You came back with Charlotte and then at that, the thing that where, you you know, you're, you're such a a great example of like how good you have to be and how close that you are a six figure guy every year. So Mm -hmm. back when you were coming through, you had to go to camp non-guaranteed essentially to roll the dice. Um, for that because they didn't have the, the 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 structure which i'm so happy that they do now to give guys chances for the two-way if they want to ch- try to chase that but like th- there's too many players like yourself that kind of just like ah you know he was a g- just he was kind of a good overseas guy like no yeah you were yeah. you know you're the definition of that and then if you would have had a chance um but that was kind of the deal you know like uh, with the rockets team and then then that's the year you made the jump to Germany with Bayern Munich. And that's, you know, obviously they're a a, a powerhouse in soccer. And that was the first time that they got into the basketball side that they came and saw you and plucked you. And so um, talk a little bit about that now. And you can kind of weave from um, kind of being at Georgetown and seeing that and and having the level player. Just from your own perspective, what was it like in terms of, man, I know I'm right there. And in the balancing of that, um, just kind of what was that like to go through?
1: So, the thing that really sparked my interest and really sparked the thought of, all right, hey, I belong with these guys at the pro level was immediately following the Final Four that year for the draft. You know, a lot of guards out of my class that went, I think that's you, like Mike Conley and those guys went in the draft. And I remember when the agents were coming in to interview uh, Jeff Green, you know, they had talked a couple, to a couple of us as we were leaving out and just talking to Jeff. He was telling me, you know, the guys were asking, why didn't I decide to test early? I never thought I was that caliber of player coming through. You know, I just thought it was myself being a glue guy, run the team, get us in our sets, make the shots, you know, when the ball comes to you. But guys were saying, you know, hey, look, you should try to test. So I I didn't. And I remember Coach Thompson having a conversation with me asking about that. Um, And then that summer, Nike basketball call when they were doing the Skills Academy, they invited me to the Steve Nash camp. Uh, I think that camp had myself, DJ Augustine, Darren Collison, uh, Greg Paulus, Jeremy Pargo, Mario Chalmers, like household names that are still some guys are still playing the NBA. Other guys are still playing highly high level over in Europe. And that right there is what let me know I I belonged. Um, And then obviously my pro career, having to come back and play in the G League and win the championship there, win the championship my first year as well with uh, Oldenburg in Germany. I knew I was right there, but it was one of those things where, you know, for me, it made sense to take the guaranteed opportunity to go back to uh, to Europe and make the money and the experiences that I ultimately wanted. Um, and it's funny you talk about it. The Exhibit 10s were around when I was there. Actually, myself and uh, Tim Conley were talking about it the other day in our preseason meetings were saying, hey, like, if this was available and when you were here, you would have been one of those guys. No doubt. No, you so, no, no, you were spot on with
0: it. No, that is um... – no, I mean, you, were, you, you would be the poster child of it, you know? I mean, yeah. that was just, uh, um, but I, I think that kind of, um, and, and those are decisions that each player makes individually. What's what right for them? You know, there's some right. that continue to chase it and chase it. There's, that are, there are others that make business decisions that like, Hey, I'm just going to go play and, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and do it. like, that's. Our, our 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 good pal Sherrod Ford was like that, right? Rod would turn down a minimum deal one year because he, you know, he made so much money in Europe and he enjoyed the city. Right. He enjoyed playing. He just and, and yeah. so, um, it. But uh, so many of the two ways, so many of the Exhibit tens and all that, and it, it just kind of like that was like, especially like if you're a third point guard, that you know there might be 29 teams that don't think you're good enough. You just need the one that does. That There's one. the, the yep. one that likes the system and all and. Uh, I kind of think I I think that was so to to kind of to, we'll keep going with your 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 playing stuff before we get to it. So you you have the option. Um, you come off your your final year of plane Uh, in Africa, um, right. and I know that Coach Thompson had been on you for a year or two previous too about trying to come work at Georgetown. Right. So kind of go through the 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 mindset of hey, I've got this option. Because you, you clearly could have continued to play if you wanted to. True. Um, True, But making the decision to go to Georgetown and to to get into the, the coaching side.
1: Yeah, uh, I was one of those guys, and I know you know better than most, that I knew by around 30, I wanted to, you know, hit that next phase in life. And for what is hard for a lot of – especially guys are playing Europe. It's hard to accept that you know you go over there, you have a great time, you're in these amazing cities, you're making great money, but you realize you know it's not sustainable for the amount of time which these guys at the NBA and what they're making in terms of contracts. Um, you have to start a second phase of life. and unfortunately, playing on so many overseas teams is not enough job experience when it comes to writing resumes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when Coach Thompson called, obviously, to come back and coach mater that's a dream come true for most guys and likewise for myself. Um, part of that, I also knew that Georgetown offered a lot of graduate programs that could definitely, you know, steer me in direction, which would be my ultimate goal of being a GM one day. Um, and so when I talked to Coach, you know, I, I told him, yes, I'd love to come back and coach, help and try to win, get a winning season under your belt. But at the same time, I wanted to set foot on uh, my journey towards getting my MBA. Uh, I think after playing for a certain amount of years, that mindset of coming out and being an attorney, as opposed to seeing how the business of basketball works and understanding to myself that I needed to build, you know, a whole new set of skills into which I could transition into a position of where I could be, you know, in an administrative role within an organization. And so Georgetown had a leadership uh, program through the NBA uh, uh, school or the school of business at Georgetown. And that was a marriage from there. I was able to coach uh, my second year actually underneath the pat is when I started the program. And so I was actually coaching and getting my MBA at the same time, which was crazy in terms of time management, but it was so worth it.
0: Yeah. So you, you fit. Yeah. So we, we kind of jumped through it. So. You, you went back to Georgetown to mm-hmm. work with JT3, who you played right. for, and then they make the coaching change and bring in Patrick Ewing. Right. And you're the only one that he keeps. And so I, I think that, to me, that always just spoke how um, highly thought of you were, how good, and obviously how good you were and all that. What, what was it like? I mean, because Ewing's obviously a legend, and and right. i know you had a, a relationship just from with the son and teammate but what was what was like what was it like for you to 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 be back home to be a, you know a hoya legend yourself and then mm-hmm. the transition from going from jt3 to to to
1: pat well, it was it was amazing obviously to feel the love of coming back home and everybody was so excited of you know what i had done as a player now being able to relate that knowledge to Uh, other guys who were coming through the system and I thought honestly it was going to be too easy. I was like, all right, I'm at the college level. I played I'm a year out. I can still get out and work out with guys. They'll listen to me. Boom. It'll translate to the court. We'll win. It was nothing like that. And I think my first year, I really, really learned the importance of patience because, you know, as as a former player, it's painful to sit there on the sideline and tell somebody how to solve a problem yet you can't go out there and do it yourself. And that's, borderline torture. So I think I really, really grew in my first year in terms of coaching and learning how to just to communicate with guys in a different way, because it is a different generation of players and they see certain things as being important as opposed to what I saw when I was a player. So just learning the skillful ways of, of contributing and relaying information to players was a big thing. Um, and then when Patrick came in with the coaching change, he was actually my coach when I was with Charlotte for summer league. So we had a pretty decent relationship right. beyond, just, right. yeah. Yeah, just beyond just uh, his son and myself being on the same team. And he knew the system. He knew I knew the system that we ran in Charlotte still and that he knows that I knew how he thinks and what he wants to get out, get across on the court. And there was a little situation where he just really gave me a ton of responsibility to the point where I was doing, you know, almost all the player development. I was able to do a lot of the play calling, uh, a lot of time management type things, late game situations. That was my role in terms of keeping plays and handing it to him when certain certain situations presented themselves within games. And so, you know, being a young, young coach that just thrown into the fire, but then having someone that had the patience to let me grow along with their development at the college level was for me, you know, probably the best situation I could ever ask for, especially working side by side with a, a hall of famer, yeah. you know, you, Having guys like Michael Jordan come in and talk to the guys in the locker room, or having, you know, Oakley and John Starks being on the road, like those, those opportunities that, you know, 90% of us never get a chance to experience. So for sure, I I look at that as a blessing and and, an amazing experience through the whole, whole situation.
0: Well, no, that that is. Talk a little bit about, you know, in terms of, um, because we like to try to, to pass on, you know, bits of, bits of, uh, advice, uh, mm-hmm. things. So when you're at Georgetown, like, and, and it could have been something different, but from from JT three to the newing, like, what what were things at, at that level, uh, in terms of that you would try to emphasize with your players? That or like you say, I know you you organize a lot of the recruiting stuff, whether it was with Mac McClung and some guys like that. Like, what did you guys kind of look for? What were things that were important in terms of kind of pillars of the program? that you tried to teach and, and um, to, to, to be attracted to you guys.
1: It, it was really funny because when I played for the Princeton, you know, it was ahead of its time in our conference and we were able to beat so many good teams because of it. People didn't know how to guard. Didn't, they didn't know what it was about, really how it functioned. And when things went South, it turned around to be, all right, this is the worst offense. It's slow. It's not exciting. But then, You know, when Pat comes in, I look at who we're targeting and the system that we're running that's compared to most NBA systems. It's all now, as you know, it's positionless basketball. Mm -hmm. It's just an extension of the Princeton. And I think one of the big things that I realized through just recruiting and working with our guys is, and one thing I can relate to a lot of young players, is being able to be a balanced basketball player. You know, be able to pass, dribble, and shoot from all positions but at the same time, being smart enough to know when and where to use those skills and those attributes. I think now the big thing is I need a workout guy and I need to have, you know, a 10 counter dribble move to get one shot. <laughs> the possession. Like that's not realistic. Yeah. You know, like, can you get a shot under three dribbles or less? Can you identify a mismatch and get a higher percentage shot as opposed to taking a 30 foot three like Steph Curry? You know, and I think that's one of the things that's been lost in translation just by the the brand of basketball that's been put out there, but at the same time, the coaching that's, that's available. Uh, and that's one of the things I would definitely preach to, to young kids. And then uh, even bigger than that is just having the balance as just being a good person. And it's and obviously with academics, because now the game is so global, yeah. you know, how well can you communicate with your teammates? How, do you have the ability to sacrifice certain skills for the betterment of the team? You know, does your game translate to different uh, flows, different systems? Those are things that we don't necessarily think about as young players. You think that all right, I'm better than the next guy. My game should translate to wherever I play, and that's not always the case. So, just really being a student of the game is huge right now.
0: No, I. That's that's great stuff. We had um, last week on uh, another former pro one uh, family guy William Avery and Will. Yeah. uh And obviously his same like you great collegiate career and then um and then his his lengthy pro career and now he's back at duke uh and he 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 joked about like it drives him crazy all the the trainers and that have like the the cones and pushing and and it's just like just have a ball and, and and simple and um and just getting really really good and but it, it there's in there, in Rod Strickland talked about this in, in in an earlier episode too, just about having humility and having the humility mm-hmm. as a player and, and 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 waiting the time and in working and um, I know i um talking about the Prince and stuff that that's interesting that you say that because I've not ever thought of it in terms of that and I you know we've had countless hours of basketball conversations but like. Um, positional in basketball and such a European thing. I've never really kind of thought of it in terms about how that's an extension of the Princeton. But you're spot on. It it, it, yeah. it really it's funny that you you say it like that. And um, in in terms, I I've spent some time through the years. You know, Jimmy Tillett at Sanford was got to know yeah. Pete Carroll really really well and did that. And then mm-hmm. in one of his assistants, and who was the the head women's coach at Sanford for for many years, Mike Morris is now the head coach at Randolph School here in Huntsville and is grew up in that system and played that. And so kind of being around and and I've heard some conversations with him talking and I've I've not thought of it but that but it really is you gotta be able to dribble pass and shoot. You gotta be skilled and you know, Lenny Acuff at UH has run a Princeton type for years. You know, now he's at Lipscomb and um, Uh it's not Princeton where you're scoring thirty points a game. He scores ninety points a game, but it's still, you know, uh, pass one, you know, rub, ch- all the same stuff, but yeah, you have to be skilled. And so, yeah. you know, it n- everything's not a side pick and roll in basketball when you right. get to the higher things. Right. And that's like, which I, I got to save a little time because the Joker's like my favorite NBA player. But like you watch Denver now and, yep. you know, it is, I mean, you guys will run a small, big pick and roll where he's the one handling mm-hmm. You have a guard set the pick and, and it's kind of like, He's the epitome of you know here's this massive human being, but is insanely skilled and and can so I I, I like that that the positionless basketball theme is you know p- people that want to beat up on the Princeton like, that's kind of how the game's evolved, huh?
1: Yeah, I mean you look at the old Kings team with Mike Bibby when they gave the Lakers headaches, they ran the Princeton. They hired Pete in as a, as a uh, yep. consultant basically, and he taught that to him. And I remember him coming back to us in the summer. And telling me, because he knew Mike B was one of my favorite players. Like, look, I just worked with Mike for two weeks on how to do the high post entry, fake the screen away, pop back for a shot. You look at the teams with Gilbert Arenas and those guys in Washington, they ran the Prince into a T under Eddie Jordan and they killed the league. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at now, I'm looking, like we were just talking before we started. I'm watching the Bucks and the Timberwolves play currently, and that's what's made Giannis so good. Like they're running a positionless offense to where he's six nine, six ten. Can put the ball on the floor, and make plays with you know everybody on the court, and yeah. so that's just elevated the game. The same way with us, with Denver, same thing. Yeah. So yeah.
0: Well, let let's let's segue to to the Nuggets. We keep kind of chatting about. So here you're, you're at Georgetown, and obviously, as you as you commented earlier, just kind of that was always one of your your goals was to to be a GM and be an exec on, on the front office side. So Tim Conley, who um, you got to know when he was uh, a scout with the wizards back in your your yep. georgetown days and, and now is one of the, the top great young gms in the game out in denver um so you get the opportunity uh, and i know you had a couple others too um which right. we don't have to go but you had you know this one i think fits so fabulously well so so now you, you make the jump this summer um mm-hmm. out to denver to where now you're you know, talk talk a little bit about now just the transition to that and kind of what, you know, you, kind of your day to day stuff, what you're doing now because you got a lot of cool stuff going on.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, I think towards the end of the yeah towards the business school uh, or getting my MBA, I remember talking to Tim. Uh, they actually came to watch us play Harvard uh, during our NIT game, and I remember getting a text from him saying that you belong in an MBA organization, and I'd al- always thought that that obviously sparked even more interest and intrigue with the whole situation. And I, and I texted him, I was like, look, you know, if you guys got a position, no matter what level, you know, I would love, you know, the opportunity to be involved. And later on that summer, it did. Obviously it was a little push and pull uh, with the Georgetown situation, just because of the things that we had worked on in the advances we had made. It was hard for me to leave some of the players that I had really connected with. But, you know, at that point, I couldn't turn on that, that opportunity. So, Fast forward, I get here, the transition's been uh, pretty smooth. A lot of the things that we talk about and that they give me the opportunity to work with have been instinctual, just from being around the game, being, you know, coach's son, student of the game, but from the business side in terms of, you know, everything from the contracts and all the different terminology, uh, the day-to-day things that happen just to make a game actually go, uh, all that's been an an eye-opening experience for me. Uh, it's been a process in terms of learning, but, you know, being able to work in the office where, you know, with him and Arturis and uh, Calvin Booth, like these are guys who well-respected around the league. Uh, we got a good group of guys, a couple of Harvard, uh, Harvard former player, former Duke player and under Martin Pochett. So I'm I've, I've working with guys that are like-minded and have actually had some experience playing the game as well as working it from a business side. I think it's been a lot easier to make the transition to work with these guys
0: yeah so i know uh you're doing a bunch of stuff you're you know you're gonna do a, a ton of scouting both in the college and mm-hmm. the nba side salary cap stuff on on the court yep. player developments things what's kind of been and i know we're only a couple weeks into the season and we're getting going in through through training camp but and as a guy that like we we talked about that was kind of right there knocking on the door and had been in the camp and had been around and, and high level guys, but w- w- what's been the biggest kind of just like total like wow kind of moment now that you're in it every day that you you couldn't have even appreciated before you, that surprised you?
1: Is honestly, it's the player player development and player care stuff that they've had me involved with off the court. Um, I remember the day first day I got here, I walked in the locker room and Will Barton was in there and. Uh, those guys, Tim and those guys are introducing me to different uh, players, and the first thing he says is like, "Yeah, I know who you are. I grew up watching you play." Like that's <laughs> yeah. one of those, those yeah. humbling moments where it's like, "All right, man, yeah, I can do this." But then, like from seeing the amount of pressure these guys face off the court, and how you would think the egos would be, is not necessarily the case with the majority of these guys. True, you have you know, you, you superstar type uh, personas who you know kind of dead to the world in terms of like the everyday situations right. but majority of these guys you know you look at if they're getting 170 million dollar contracts when they're 24 years old you know they don't necessarily know how to use a credit card some of them don't even own debit cards so making sure that they have everything in place being from home to girlfriends to parents tickets to you know having cars and clothes like teaching guys where to go buy a suit from like these are things that a lot of guys will never, never have the opportunity to learn, and so I think that's kind of been the the biggest surprise for me is seeing guys at such an, an elite level still having the everyday problems that you, know, you and I would have. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that's interesting. The um the t- t- what, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask and get some jokeage Like, what what's he like to be around in term I mean, he's such a unique specimen and talent yes. and gifted and, you know, and his, his story. Like, what, what what's your time around him been like so far? What, and just kind of observations in terms of – and I know his schedule, it, it's probably been – we were talking about this last week that with the FIBA World Championships and probably he mm-hmm. played so much in that that he probably rested a little bit more in training camp. So he looks like he's probably not in the same optimal shape as he will right. be in a couple months. So, you know, maybe his workload hasn't been – Typically, but just in terms of observations, being around him, like what, what what's it like watching him on a day to day basis?
1: It's, it's, not, it's, it's a privilege. Like the, the guy is so smart on the court. He see like the passes he makes in practice don't even compare it to what he does in the game. Wow. Um, the way he sees the game, the way a, a non natural English speaking player can communicate with all the guys and to the point where they buy in and really look to him for that advice or for that leadership on the floor, especially from a big man. And you and I are both point guards. It's usually those are your leaders, mm-hmm. the point guards. And to see a, a player see the game from the inside out at such a high level, which he does, I think that's amazing because most bigs don't really see the game like that. You think of like even Patrick Ewing, Alonzo Moore, at like the great bigs, when the ball goes in, it ain't usually coming out. <laughs> and yeah. this is a guy who facilitates the entire offense from either high post or low post position. Uh, and then just to go a testament to how global the game is, you know, they introduce me to him when I first get here uh, while we're all having breakfast in the team uh, lunchroom. And, you know, we talk and he's kind of, you know, hey, there's another guy coming in. I started mentioning guys that I played with in, in Europe that was from Serbia. And like, you see his whole face change. I'm like, you know this guy? You know this guy? I'm like, yeah, you know, we used to hang out, we hoop, you know, the whole nine. And that just puts a lot of guys at ease to see, you know, things that you share in common, all based around a game of basketball, you know, can open so many doors.
0: Yeah. I mean, he literally is must see TV for me. Like when, and uh, he he just, I I have so much joy watching him play. And it's just the same thing like with watching the Serbian team in the world championships and just with Mm -hmm. Bogdanovich and how they, Incorporate and use him, and I—I think they had six or seven other guys that were like six ten, six eleven or bigger. I mean, they were massive, yeah. you know. And um, just just how skilled they are, and how he passes the basketball, and it's just—it's just kind of refreshing to see the game played, um, in terms of in j- just different. Different ways, different d- through different eyes of, of how to do things. Mm-hmm. And does it help that having, uh, on some level, having like with Arturis being the, the GM and in the front office there, working with Tim being a, an international, does that, how does that now, I mean, because we talk about one of the things week in, week out that, you know, for the second consecutive year, we have 108 international guys on opening day rosters. Mm-hmm. You know, the sixth consecutive year, there's been over 100 players. Um, I think Serbia has the fourth most. Uh, Represented from a country in eight, like what? Just the whole international influence in the game now. What is that like? In, 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 not just the Joker, but with, with, with even on the front office side with you guys.
1: Um, I mean, without giving away, you know, our secrets, I just think the biggest thing is how much we pay attention to detail, along with the amount of coverage that we give. Yeah, you know, yeah, we look at the, you know, the collegiate level and your top you know, 50 guys who are coming out of high school who are the next young wave of players. But then the way in which we structure our scouting, you know, both internationally and, you know, beyond just Europe, you look at Australia and these other countries where players are. Well, Australia's um, got –
0: that's the most of a a single – it's Canada, then it's Australia. I mean, that's the two biggest that are there,
1: you know. And I, I think just across the board, having guys in the front office who, you know, look like, speak like, think like, a lot of players who are now helping the league transcend into a different form of basketball. I think it's very important. It just puts those guys at ease. And then I think even from the fan standpoint, for them to have contact and see, yes, the game has grown uh, in such a way globally, but you can learn so much from these guys just from their culture and from their mannerisms. I mean, you look at Joker, he's kind of redefined what a superstar is like, this is the most low maintenance dudes I've probably ever been around. You know, he's like a world-class ping pong player, and he loves horses. That's it. Oh, he doesn't we have go. social media, nothing else. Like, dude, just works out, likes horses, and plays ping pong. Simple man, yet effective. So, that,
0: just- yeah, no, that it's funny you say that because I, I remember seeing some pictures of him. Like, <laughs> like, is he gonna break the horse ride on? Because he was so big. Like that—that's what he was known for more in his kind of early teenage years in a basketball player, right? That he was mm-hmm. like this. um I don't know what the specific thing, but like he, that he's a big horse guy.
1: Yeah, like we just and he and I, me, have my agriculture background. We sit just, just talk about horses.
0: Oh well, I was just about to say you know. so this is the perfect segue. Like I, I've been waiting the whole <laughs> time to try to work the way in. Like yeah. now that you, now that the Joker does the Joker know that you're like one of the biggest cattle farm bar- like you know the a bull, a uh, uh, bull baron, like the. I mean, he's going to be, you're going to be his favorite guy of all time. Like, you're, you're pro guy, cattle farmer. Do you know more about basketball or do you know more about ways of cattle and breeding uh, and, 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 and working and getting good bulls?
1: At this point, it might, I think the cattle might have taken (laughs) the lead. (laughs) Joseph just allowed the level of self educating now that I'm, you know, back in the States full time. Obviously, I got aspirations of growing that business, but just staying up on top of the trends and how everything, you know, complements or affects everything else from what's happening with our president to, you know, with a possible, uh, what do you call it, a recession on the rise, mm-hmm. like how all that just affects just the agriculture business. You have to constantly stay up on this stuff daily. So
0: that that was always one of my just unbelievably favorite things about you. This I think this is about my seventh favorite thing about you now. But you would come come home from europe from you know being gone months in a row maybe it was a christmas break maybe it was whatever and you'd fly home and you'd have you know your 10-hour flight long journey back maybe longer and you'd you'd get home and you'd be like hey you you want to go get a meal tomorrow you know nah, we got to put up a new bar, bar fence or we got to re-roof the barn and like I, you know, that just kind of goes to speak to what was always what I think is what's made you so unique and, and so good, but it goes to like, to Strickland's point of the humility of like, you didn't like, nah, blood off. Like you, you had to, you had to work the farm. You had to, you know, I, I remember one of the times that a gate broke and a bunch of the cow got loose and were going down, uh, the highway and you had to go get them all back. And it's just like. You've yep. never you've never kind of lost that of whether it's painting the fence, whether it's working on the in, in um, but but talk so so Capshaw Ridge Cattle Company. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk just a few minutes about that of of uh, and it may not be an incredibly exciting thing for a basketball podcast, but I don't really care because yeah. I, I love hearing about <laughs> it. So talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So born and raised into it. Um, I think. When I was around 19 or 20 is when I really started to see how it can be, you know, a slow but lucrative business that obviously affords you a certain type of lifestyle, but at the same time, you know, you can make money doing it. And that was one of the things that always intrigued me. Um, and that was, I would honestly say that was that's my original passion, just based off the land that, you know, I was seeing here from my grandfather and the great work he did with it. Um, and then once I started making some money overseas, I would invest. You know the amount of it back into it every year, and just I would my thing, and especially me and my father and family as a whole, we were really big on changing the the norm of what cattle ranching is today, and we really put an emphasis on uh, improving the natural uh, resource uh, opportunities in terms of like controlling water runoff, making sure our cows are on a, a nutrition plan because there is so much more responsibility from just raising a product, selling a product, and then you sleep well at night, not considering what the consumer has to deal with. And that's one of the things we've really taken initiative with. And You know, the Alabama Soil Conservation Services and other universities have worked with us in improving that. And I think that's a big thing that kind of has to go back to our food safety program nationwide. Um, I think the small farmers are the guys who kind of lead that charge. And I've obviously taken that to heart, my father and mother as well. So that's kind of where I am now and actually turned into a business, changed the name and just now trying to grow that in both numbers and, uh, land as well.
0: Is there anything you're not doing? <laughs> I
1: think that's about <laughs> rounds it out.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I'm like is there, as I'm sitting here like, man, what, man, um, no, that's awesome. <laughs> I, I, uh, like I said, I, I I've always known all these, incredibly cool things about you but i just find it um i just think it's all connected though you know it, yeah. it is and it rolls all the way back to like we talked about at the beginning of your journey in terms of if education wasn't such a a, a main anchor within your family from your mom and dad that no matter how good you're in talented with basketball like you wouldn't have gone to princeton if it, the book compo- component wasn't there and then that's what led you from that journey then to georgetown with jt3 and then playing and then coming back to georgetown with jt3 to work for him then, then to pat to then to the nuggets like it's just it's crazy how it's all kind of connected um yeah. but then with with what you're doing with with the farm in Capshaw Ridge, like that was the core of it, that gave you all of that work ethic in the first place for that, so it's just, it's just incredible cycle, uh, I think with you, of, of how you were raised, and kind of how, how you go about it, it's the same reason why I, I you, you'll be a GM one day, you know, you're gonna work, at, you'll you'll, you're gonna kind of ascend through that, and I have no doubt of that, unless you just become, you know, the, the biggest landowner in the Southeast and just, because, <laughs> and, you know, and, and top out what um talk a little bit uh, here in, in the last couple of minutes, kind of what you, you know, in terms of now, this is your first kind of NBA season on, on that side, um, mm-hmm. kind of just outlook in terms of with, with, with kind of the team and then what you're going to do with, with, with still following the college game. Cause you've been so connected to that and with Georgetown, yeah. like what's kind of, what what's the next couple of months kind of looking for you in terms of just you know excitement and 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 what you're going to be doing?
1: Oh, excitement's at, a, at an all time high right now for me. I mean, we're now starting to get into the meat and potatoes of our schedule. I think this week tomorrow we play the Heat. We got the Sixers on Thursday. Then we play obviously got Boston. We got the Rockets this month. Like I'm gonna get a chance to really be a part of some really good basketball, high level basketball. But in playing played. And then on top of that, you know, things kick off tomorrow with Kansas and Duke and Michigan State, Kentucky. These, This is the best time of year, especially from my position to where I get a chance to scout both the collegiate games uh, and, uh, you know, the pro games as well. And just you know, like I said right now, I'm sitting here with two computers with two different games up. Like that'll be my life for the next however many months. And just, you know, gain as much intel on players, you know, seeing what players can offer certain things to our organization. And just keeping track of everything.
0: Is there more analytics at the NBA level with basketball or is there more analytics into the cattle business?
1: That's <laughs> very funny. So I was telling my mother the other day, I said, I feel like they're about neck and neck. I, I did not like. we use a little bit of the analytics at Georgetown, but like we use it very heavily here. But then I'm looking at how the you know, these numbers come out and what they're Probabilities and so forth. This is the same exact things I use in terms of choosing what bull needs to mate to whatever cow on our property, and so it's just funny to make those connections (laughs) and make it make sense. You know, for you in your own words and your own terms. I think that's important.
0: Do you have is is there any type of Princeton terminology that you use in the cattle business? Do we have any like chin or rub or pass one (laughs) or dribble at follow screens? Are, Are there? Do you have your your capshaw ridge terminology that would equate to princeton
1: i think if anything it would probably be flow especially <laughs> when you're working out you gotta make sure the flow stays consistent them being hurt animals you do not want to get hurt in those situations so i feel like that would most apt translate
0: look at that see it, it takes a highly intelligent person and i'm speaking you not me on this to to to, <laughs> to pull together on a basketball themed podcast uh to get some 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 purist Princeton to how it can relate to the cattle business. Um, yeah. Listen, man, I uh, I really appreciate the time. I, like I said, it was uh, you and I. have had a lot of conversations here in in the in the past year or two on on me wanting to kind of get this podcast project rolling. And and at the end of the day, it, it's wanting to share stories of. Uh, people that have influenced me and people, you know, have met on kind of my journey going through this. And your story has just been, you know, since whatever it was, 2008 on that. But even before then, obviously, you know, when you're at Sparkman and, and, and seeing. Yeah. So for the all the years, you're working with Mark Noble and doing the testing. And so and, and, and yep. had a chance. So just to kind of y- – your story of – uh you know, the not having cable television and being smart and going to Princeton and that, and that, and then the cattle. Like, I literally have called you the most interesting man in the world in pro basketball in my space and, and just wanted to to share. And there's a lot, there's so much in this journey that you've been instrumental with in, in helping launch and giving back to the kids. And, and I just, um, I can't ever thank you enough for that and what you continue to do, and especially here uh, in our pocket where we live in, in North Alabama, that, uh, more people need to know about you and what you're doing rather than, uh, some of the other just kind of hype stuff that goes on. Cause there's, there's, there's a lot more substance to, uh, to what, what you've done and, and continue to do. And ironically enough, you've been such of the grind get going, but now that you've got the NBA tag on, you may now, maybe everybody will pay attention to you.
1: <laughs> yeah, we will see. <laughs> but uh but no before before you close, I'd be remiss if I didn't obviously give you your props as well. I think one of the things that this game allows us to do is meet so many good people along the way because you know, you look at the podcast, like much of these recruiting videos that we get now as coaches, they're all highlight reels. And so, you know, what most people don't know is that yeah, I didn't get paid, go over, I go to play your league, didn't get paid the first five months, come home. You know, I end up going back to play in Germany, win a championship that year, but no one will wanna sign me for what I think I'm worth looking at, hanging it up, going right back to school, meeting you and what you've done from for me, guys like Will Avery, I think even Mateen Cleese, we spoke about at one point, just yeah. rehabilitating guys' careers and helping them, you know, see different options and kind of that light at the end of the tunnel and then taking that and turning to something even bigger, I think. That's something that you definitely should give props for. That uh, you know, I don't know who you talk to next, but you should make them talk about that. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I appreciate that.
0: No, you know, it's it's funny that uh, like you said, when you I, it, I remember that when when we first started that you had you'd gotten roughed up pretty good in, in your experience yeah. over, and, and you came back, and it was uh, I remember we were talking. Uh, just getting so frustrated with what the, the, the amount of money you were being offered. And I was just like, screw that. You're way better than that. Like, let's go play in the D league and kind of yeah. boost it back up. And no, but like that, that was the joy for me on, on in all the years of working with guys like yourself that with, with intelligent guys that you could get that, you could have that conversation that you understood markets, you understood kind of what's, what's mm-hmm. your internal value. What's the market value and in, in, in pro sports, you're only worth as much as someone wants to pay you like it that you know we can all sit around and say that you're this or that but unless somebody wants to give you that you're not and it's um but um i'm also a, a big believer in good things happening to good people and that's obviously what is what has happened with you and continues to happen with you and and so we will uh I was already a Nuggets fan from the standpoint of the Joker. Now, when you went there, and so now (laughs) I'm like, I'm all in. And uh, now, listen, we'll we'll have to uh, at some point here after you kind of get some more months under your belt, circle back around and catch up, uh, even if it's kind of on a quick blurb. See how you're doing, see how things are going, and um, you know, see if you've added a new component to Capshaw Ridge on the cattle company. So, sounds good. All right, Mr. Wallace, we appreciate it, and we will uh, will catch up soon. Okay, my friend?
1: Yes, sir. Take care. All All right, John. See you
0: later. So much for listening to this week's edition of Pro One Dialogue. Pro One Dialogue is available wherever you find your podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and now available on Google Play, um, where you can go back and find any of the previous editions with Greg Stolt, Rod Strickland, John Roca from Spain, William Avery, uh, and make sure to subscribe uh, as we have some great guests coming up here in the weeks coming ahead and and don't want you to miss out. So, uh, again, thanks so much for the time. We really enjoyed the time with, with Jonathan Wallace and we look forward to catching up with you guys again soon.